Hello and welcome to Kinstella podcast series. More than four months had passed since we have heard about the first COVID-19 cases in the Chinese city of Wuhan. Since then, we have witnessed unprecedented global quarantine, with aviation being one of the first and one of the most affected industries. So this Kinstellar podcast would explore how COVID crisis affects less visible elements of aviation industry such as airports, aircraft repossessions and passenger refunds. My name is Oleksiy Burchevsky, I'm leading aviation sector at Kinstellar and we have three guests. All three are practicing aviation lawyers and all three are coming from France. Isabelle Leyeur is a partner at Chevrier Avocat, a French boutique firm specializing in the aviation sector. Holding a double demaster degree from X Marseille and McGill universities, she has been working in the aviation business including airport industry for 20 years. Thierry Mazoyer is a partner with the same law firm. He holds a double master degree in litigation law and graduated from Paris Bar School. He has been working for airlines and insurance companies for 18 years. During the recent years, he has developed a deep expertise in the management of passenger claims that airlines are more and more facing. Wansam Morang is a senior consultant with DFDL, an integrated international law firm with offices across Southeast Asia. Wansam has been actively involved in aviation-related matters for several years, especially in relation to aircraft leasing and financing in Cambodia, and is now leading DFDL regional aviation team. Isabel, a lot has been said on the impact of COVID-19 on the air transport industry. What is your personal view on the situation? Well, thank you, Oleksii. Indeed, the air transportation system plays an essential role in contributing to global economic prosperity by driving trade, investment and tourism issues. Global air transport is a complex system of interdependent entities among air transport stakeholders. Airlines, airports, manufacturers, service providers, subconcessioners, or even internally within each entity. And a systemic approach applies as an event that impacts one's stakeholders, impacts the whole system. Actually, this is particularly true when a crisis occurs with the COVID crisis. Markets with severe restrictions cover 98% of global passenger revenues, Worldwide flights now down more than 80% in April, with tens of billions of tickets refunded. The COVID crisis has numerous impacts for all stakeholders with crucial legal consequences, either regulatory or on contractual issues. And the airport industry is one of the illustrations, of course. Indeed, there's an immediate impact for airports as most, if not all, national and international flights have stopped and airlines and passengers have deserted the infrastructures. But most airports in the world are not closed though, as they have to maintain few commercial flights, but mainly operations for medical and repatriation flights. Well, so regulatory issues under current discussion are several, and we can name state aid. Few governments inside and outside Europe have already granted state aid to airport operators by different payment of revenue sharing or charges or by granting state loans. But it's interesting to note that other governments have expressly informed privatized airports that they should first explore all liquidity options with their private shareholders and lenders before coming to the governments. Airport slot allocation is another issue. Well, the EU Council adopted on 30 March a waiver applicable to the summer season 2020, meaning a suspension of the airport slot requirements you know, which obliged airlines to use at least 80% of their takeoff and landing slots in order to keep them the following year. Now, while contractual issues are substantial as well, of course, 
Is a, at the concession agreement level, if any, to be renegotiated between the concessionaire and the public rentor? And in any case, for all contracts signed by the airport operator and third parties, the airlines, the concessionaires like duty-free food and beverage fuel companies, or even service providers. Well, as you can imagine, for all contract relationships, the objective is to avoid contract termination in order to ensure service continuity as soon as the activity restarts. And preference should go then for contract renegotiations. So the issue to consider by the parties is the unpredictability provision more than the force majeure event that allows the party to commonly decide if the state grants a financial compensation or suspends concession fees or envisage other options such as allowing an expansion of the duration of the concession contract. The idea, of course, is to rebalance the contract economy. Thus, thousands of contract negotiations are pending at the moment in the airport sector. Thank you, Alexi. There were quite a few airport concession projects at the stages of feasibility study, initial proposals, tendering and implementation. What's your prediction? Shall we forget about them for a while? Or would you expect the resurgence immediately after the end of quarantine measures? That's a good question. And many airport investors are challenged at the moment with that point. Several airport concession projects are ongoing in the different regions of the world. Some are postponed, but not all. So for instance, there is an airport project in Barbados in the Caribbean, and the bid process is still pending with an RFP to be published anytime soon. Anyhow, I believe that projects that are postponed will restart reasonably quickly after the quarantine measures, as they are usually long-term projects, and hopefully by the time the project will be granted, the air traffic will have restarted at a rather normal level, I believe. Thank you, Isabel, for your part. Another separate industry, which is nevertheless directly dependent on the airline's performance, is aircraft finance. There are numerous discussions going on in the expert community on the strategies available for the lessors, which may help them to avoid collapse. Our next speaker, Van Sung, will focus on more practical issues associated with aircraft leasing and repossession in these difficult times. Thank you, Alexi. As Isabel mentioned, that's certain that the aircraft leasing market has been very heavily impacted by the pandemic. We have seen leases not able to operate their leased aircraft and lessons considering what actions they could implement locally to protect their interests. It is interesting to note, however, that leasing transactions have not stopped entirely. We're still acting on various lease matters, and they are still very much alive at the moment. Another point of interest I think that we can mention is that we've also seen lessons exploring new territories as a result of the pandemic, territories that they may not have considered in a more normal um, situation. We think that some of them may actually be ready to consider more risky situations as they will be looking to find opportunities for their available aircraft in the coming few months. And also with all of these leased aircraft grounded for an indefinite period of time, many airlines have been and are still facing uh, cash flow issues. Some measures have been implemented locally to help these airlines. For instance, in, in Cambodia in March, the government decided that various taxes payable by local airlines would be deferred for a period of three months. In relation to these cash flow issues, what have you seen in practice on the ground in the jurisdictions that you cover? 
So in practice, we've, we've seen two things in relation to the pandemic and especially in relation to the cash flow issues suffered by the local airlines. So on one hand, we've seen lessees reaching out to their lessors to request either a reduction or a deferment of rental payments initially agreed under the leases. And from the information we've had, we know that most lessons have been willing to discuss with their leases, even if this means naturally substantial financial losses for them eventually. On the other hand, we've seen lessons inquiring as to their options in case of breach by their leases of their legal obligations. Naturally, we've had many questions in relation to how the concept of uh, force majeure is being treated or recognized from a local law perspective. We've also had questions in relation to enforcement of the leases locally with the view of potential aircraft contentious repossession. For instance, it is of high importance for lessons to properly document their request to the relevant civil aviation authorities, especially in countries that have not yet ratified the Cape Town Convention. And lessons must be able in such a situation to show that they have discussed with the lessees and they have duly served upon them the necessary notices when necessary. This is something that requires, in, in some cases, the notices to be served by following a specific process that complies with the local legislation. Lessons must also be able to provide detailed summary of the various breaches, and it is of good practice for them to prepare a document, for instance, showing the various events of default that have occurred under the leases and the actions that have been taken to cure them when possible, of course. In practice, we have not witnessed many instances of contentious repossessions by lessons. So we think that, in fact, most lessons did not want to act too quickly, and they were actually willing to wait and see while getting ready to act, if and when necessary. Also, lessons have had to deal with some practical and unprecedented obstacles. For instance, how do you fly the necessary crew to get an aircraft out of a country when flying is simply not possible or when quarantine regulations apply to individuals entering the country? There are also, of course, medical concerns for the crew flying the aircraft. Also, in some instances, the local civil aviation offices were simply closed as part of the governmental decisions. Therefore, how do you obtain the necessary documents and forms in such situations? How do you get them stamped? So a lesson may be able to regain possession of an aircraft and to fly it out of the current um, state of registration. But how can they then register it in the new state of registration? And in the meantime, who is going to bear the liabilities? the lessee or the lesson. So in all fairness, Alexi, no one had all of the responses simply because some of these questions had never been asked before. You know, grounding aircraft on such scale and for such a long period of time had never happened. And therefore there are still, and there will still be a lot of practical issues being dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis. And as Isabel mentioned, you know, where do you park all of these aircraft? And we know that it is neither easy nor uh, cheap. Was potential bankruptcy or insolvency of local airlines a cause for concern from the source? Yes, of course. I mean, 
a potential bankruptcy or insolvency of a lessee is always a cause for concern for a lessor. But this is, of course, even more accurate and relevant at the moment. It is highly important for a lessor to consider, in any case, how the local legislation could potentially impact the repossession of an aircraft in case of bankruptcy or insolvency of the lessee. For instance, it is usually recommended to include in the aircraft lease an obligation for the lessee to record the aircraft as a leased asset in its books. This should in practice help the lessor, if needed of course, to prove to the local administrator that the aircraft is actually a leased asset and is not owned by the lessee. And also in respect of bankruptcy and insolvency, there are also some actions that may be taken in order for the lessor uh, to protect and secure the deposit paid by the lessee under the lease. And these actions must be considered carefully and in a timely manner. What do you think it will happen next? That's a good question. I'd like to finish on a more positive note. And I would like to say that in the past few days before we recorded this podcast, we've seen several announcements relating to airlines resuming their operations, whether for domestic or international flights. So. If it's certain that the aviation sector has taken a massive hit due to the pandemic and that we will keep seeing the effects of this for some time, I think there is nonetheless hope on the um, horizon. However, at the same time, that is certain that all of the actors in the aviation sector uh, will have to adapt. And for instance, for airlines in finding ways to protect passengers and crews against the virus in the future. After we have briefly elaborated on industry sectors related to airlines, it's now time to say a couple of words about the airlines themselves. Obviously, carriers are affected in many different ways. However, we would like to touch upon passenger complaints and refunds. A lot is being said about the need to split COVID impact between carriers and passengers more equally. Thierry, how an airline can survive amid the newly imposed transport and travel restrictions? Thank you, Alexi. Well, everyone agrees that air transport in general and um, airlines in particular are going through one of the worst crises in their history. And I don't think I'm wrong or that I am exaggerating, saying that most airlines are now fighting for their survival. So, yes, what are the ways we can consider? The first one, of course, is the help of the state, the state aid. These aids can take several forms, several modalities, but they are essentially three. The first one is a direct state loan, which consists essentially for states which are, for example, a shareholder of the so-called national company to inject money in the share capital. The second one can be loans granted by banks to airlines in difficulty, but with a state guarantee in case of payment failure by the airline. Or it can be what we see in many countries, the deferral of tax and social charges. In France, for instance, Air France will receive public aid for 7 billion euros. And this French aid will be broken down into 4 billion bank loans, 90% guaranteed by the French state, and three other billion direct loans from the French state as a shareholder, but with commitments in return on improving its profitability and reducing its carbon emissions. So this is the main uh, first category of aids. Secondly, in addition to this public aid or, or loans, companies themselves may also consider their own measures to limit their debt such as the use of unemployment, for instance, or like uh, some American companies, consider agreements with employees for periods of leave without pay. I would add that 
airlines are also awaiting for a gesture from the European Commission to relax the obligations they have in the event of flight cancellations. Because according to European regulation, the airline must fully reimburse the price of a cancelled ticket. Not all companies have the cash to do it. So some of them have decided to issue vouchers instead of refunding the price of the tickets. But these measures remain of limited impact. And it is clear that companies need help will have the greatest difficulties in overcoming this traumatic situation. Do you expect a change in the applicable legislation, especially European Council regulations concerning the reimbursement of the tickets by airlines? Well, regulation number 261-2004 imposes the obligation for the airline to reimburse the full cost of the ticket at the price at which it was bought. And airlines, overwhelmed by claims they cannot afford, Globally, this represents about $35 billion, according to IATA. Airlines have some, for some developed a voucher practice, which consists, instead of refunding the passenger, of offering him a voucher that he can use for a related trip. But this practice is not provided for by the European regulation, and the European Commission reiterated this last March. A few days ago, at the end of April, Transport ministers from 12 European countries called for airlines to be allowed to impose vouchers instead of reimbursement. In this communication, the 12 ministers insist on the fact that the obligation to refund tickets cancelled in cash if the passenger requests it places them in a difficult situation, confronting them with serious cash flow problems. And then the 12 therefore call on the Commission to urgently propose a temporary amendment which allows airlines to choose how to refund passengers. However, in order to suspend or amend the regulation, it is necessary to obtain the unanimous agreement of the 27 member states, which you can imagine is not a simple thing. But we can mention the French example concerning travel agencies, because travel agencies are not subject to European regulation, but to the French Code of Tourism. Agencies, which are normally required by law to reimburse a cancelled trip, are now authorized since the end of March by derogation to issue vouchers valid for 18 months, and if the client does not use the voucher, the agency is then required to repay it at the end of this 18-month um, period. So we can imagine that such a system can be transposed to air transport with guarantees in case of the island bankruptcy, of course. The law evolves according to the circumstances because the law must adapt to the world it is supposed to govern and not vice versa. So it is quite likely that such a solution will one day be offered to air carriers. The only question is when. And to be honest, I'm afraid that the answer of that question for some airlines will be too late anyway. What airlines are doing to meet their contractual obligations and to handle refund and supplier claims? Like we have said, they can offer vouchers instead of refunding. But I want to insist on the fact that even if it is not provided by for the European regulation, the airline is in any case allowed to propose such a solution. And if the passenger agrees with that, the allied is in accordance with the law. The will of the parties make the contract. This is very important to have this in mind because it's always a possibility for the airline to propose such a solution to the passengers. The law also offers legal means to amend the execution of the contract, such as terms of payment on an amicable basis, or in case the other party does not agree with the authorization of the judge. And of course, like it was previously mentioned, the situation is exceptional. So airlines can also rely on the traditional legal concepts such as force majeure or unpredictability, especially the latter one, which can be invoked when or where the circumstances make the execution of the contract more expensive than what was initially planned. 
do you expect a surge in carrier liability claims from passengers who might have been exposed to COVID infection while traveling on board? Well, several sort of claims will likely arise. And yes, we can think of uh, COVID infection while traveling. But in my opinion, I'm not sure that these cases will be the most numerous cases. The air carrier liability is essentially governed by the, the provision of the Montreal Convention. And according to this, the carrier is liable in case of an accident which caused the death or injury to a passenger that took place on board the aircraft or in the course of the operations of embarking or disembarking. And in my opinion, the notion of accident is lacking. And above all, I don't see how a passenger will be in measure to prove or bring evidence in court that he contracted, that he actually contracted the COVID-19 on board the aircraft or in the course of any of the operations of embarking or disembarking. But anyway, this will be food for thought as part of a possible defense if such claims are brought in court. However, there will be eventually claims in relation with COVID-19, especially with the refund issues or the cancellation of flights before, before airspace closure. I especially think of airlines which had difficulties to operate between countries in which some passengers were non-residents of the country of final destination were not allowed to fly and cancel their tickets. But despite this numerous cancellation, the airline had the obligation to operate for the other passengers allowed to go back to their home country. And in such a situation, some companies have canceled these flights for, let's say, economic reasons. But were they allowed to do such a thing? I think that we will have many issues like these to deal with, to resolve. Yeah, there are so many issues here. I see Van Song has a question. Yes, thank you, Alexi. Uh, Thierry, maybe one question. I was wondering if there are any precedents in relation to the topics that you've covered, any precedents that could be relied upon from the air travel disruption after the eruption of the volcano in Iceland in 2010. There are actually few situations that can be compared to the one we are actually facing. I see two main events. The first one, of course, is 9-11, after which the American air traffic was completely suspended for three days. But obviously, the regulation issued in 2004 was not enforced at that time. And you're right, the other one, but I think it's the only one, is the, the eruption of the Icelandic volcano in 2010. The European Court of Justice ruled an important decision in relation with these exceptional circumstances constituted by the eruption. This decision ruled on the 31st January 2013 will certainly be a reading grade for future cases relating to the present situation. Because first, it says that circumstances such as the closure of part of European airspace as a result of the eruption of the volcano constitute extraordinary circumstances within the meaning of the European regulation, which released the air carrier from its obligation to pay the European compensation. And the actual pandemic is already considered as extraordinary circumstances by everyone, even passengers association, passenger lawyers. So this will not be an issue. However, this decision also says that these extraordinary circumstances do not release air carriers from the obligation to provide care to passengers, no matter the duration of the impossibility to operate. This can be another source of difficulties for airlines that can be obliged to offer hotel and meals to their passengers. But that being said, we have seen that states have taken necessary steps to arrange the transfer of these passengers in their home countries. So it could be limited. And finally, on a more positive note, the decision also specifies that an air passenger may only obtain by way of compensation for the failure of the air carrier to comply with its obligation to provide care, reimbursement of the amount which, in the light of the specific circumstances of each case, 
proved necessary, appropriate, and reasonable, very important, reasonable, to make up for the shortcomings of the air carrier in the provision of care to the passenger, a matter which is for the national court to assess. Well, this is called comfort, but airlines are not completely exposed to pay each and every expense proved by the passenger in such situations. Dear Isabel, Thierry Vansen, on behalf of our audience, I would like to thank you for your time and valuable insights which you have shared with us. All of us definitely hope that this unprecedented challenge for aviation industry will soon come to an end and that main market players would emerge even stronger than before the crisis. May I ask you, what would be the first destination you would fly to as soon as the travel becomes available? Yeah, Alexi, it makes us dream actually about traveling. I think I would go to Rome, simply to Italy. The country has has known very complicated context uh, these past weeks, and I would be more than happy to to go back there. And you can probably drive there if there is no yeah. flight available. Exactly. Thierry? Uh, <laughs> well, on my part, <laughs> I have rented a house in Greece for this summer, so I would be happy to go to Greece if possible. I know that Greece and some countries uh, like Croatia, Greece have um, communicated on the fact that they are hoping that tourists will come this summer because it's very important for them. So I do hope to go to Greece this summer. Great. One song? Thank you, Alexi. As Thierry, I would definitely enjoy flying to a sunny place like Greece. As someone living outside of their country home, I will definitely fly to France to visit my family. That's the first thing I will do when I'm able to do so. Great. Well, we all hope to jump on the plane as soon as possible. And this was Kinstellar podcast series. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and will join our next podcast. Stay safe and good luck.